Good evening. Come on, it wasn't a trick question. Good evening. Just humor me a little bit. Turn to your neighbor and say, who do you worship? And then you can answer the question, who do you worship and why? Okay, slightly different question. Who do you think who do you think people in the world around you in your networks of friends, family, who who do they worship? Who do they worship? Would you even use the word worship? Is that an appropriate word to use? Just have a chat with your neighbor. Just to check you're alive and breathing. Amongst your friends, family, do people worship anything or anyone? Just have a chat with your neighbor. Okay, last third question. Third question is, how would you define worship? What would you say worship is? Okay, chat to your neighbor. I'm coming around. I'm taking note of everyone on their phones, by the way. I'm coming to you first for answers. Neil Bennett, yes. Oh, yes. So much trouble. Do you remember the first question? Great. If possible, Dave, we're going to need to put some lights up. I know that could be a problem, but you know. Great. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Are you ready? There's a lot of worry now. Let's put the lights up. Let's see. Okay, so, so down here in the, in the cheap seats, uh, any of my three questions... Oh, no, actually, no, that's rubbish, not the first one. Uh, how would you define worship? What do you think worship is? Uh, praising Jesus. Praising Jesus. Strong. I think it feels like the correct answer. I, I think you could have come with something funnier, you know. I was really looking, Sam, for something funny. I'm sorry. It's a good answer, you know. Uh, Mike, you're a theologian, aren't you? That means you talk about God. Good. Hopefully you talk to God as well. Um, what would you say worship is, Mike? It's from the Old English worth. Oh, come on, Mike. That's my talk. <laughs> it is saying to God. Sorry, I, I took the mic away to say it again. It is, it is from the old English word, worth-ship, and it's saying to God how much he is worth to us. Does that make me go early now? Okay, so now, now we're going to have a time of ministry, because that's the, that's the talk. I love it. So, our second vision theme as a, as a church family is all in with each other. We're all in with God, all in with each other, and all in for the world. And, and this series during February, based on the Old Testament book of Ezra, is going to be looking and talking about the topic uh, of being all in together. And tonight we're thinking about what it means to say that we're united in worship. Um, I wonder if your family has any stories that you tell about things that happened in your family. But the, the thing is, the, it's more than just the event that matters. Kind of what happened tells something of your family story. Yeah, everyone remembers it. It's the story that comes out at Christmas or, you know, when mum is talking about Adam, she says, you know, don't you remember that time when Adam was seven years old? You know, I remember what Naomi did in the bath that time when she was about four years old. And it's funny when Rachel and that, you know, it's really hilarious. My family laugh about the time that we missed the ferry and I took it so well. 
so calmly. It was just a glorious, peaceful moment in the car at Dover. You would have loved to have been there. Um, I wonder, just tell each other again, do you have any stories that your family tells that kind of remind you of your family values? Again, just turn, you know, what's the story that auntie always comes out with every time you go home and you have Yorkshire puddings, someone remembers the time. So, so it's a really common, it's a really common thing, isn't it, about being, about being human. It's a really common thing about, about being people, about being women, about being men, alive, breathing, and, and having a soul, and having a mind, and a heart, and emotions. That one of the ways we express and share what really matters to us is through the telling of stories. So we tell what happened in the events, but actually telling what happened in the events, it's much more important if I wanted to know you as a person, to understand what it means to you, what the significance of it was for you, the values maybe it expresses, maybe the, the, the moment that it marks in your, in your history. I'm, I'm old enough to have uh, girls of a certain age. I can remember clearly through my daughter's years, I can remember moments when I knew that something had shifted Something had changed as, as they were growing up. And if you're blessed with having family, then, then you'll realize that as well, that there are these moments in our stories that mark a shift. Uh, some of you know my eldest daughter, Rachel, is getting married in a few months' time, two or three months' time. It's about, yeah, I'm not looking forward to it. You know, in a way, I'm really not looking forward to it. Who's watched Father of the Bride? Yeah, I can't watch Father of the Bride without crying my eyes out. I am going to be a mess. And of course, of course, when my beautiful Rachel gets married um, to Igor, or Jack, as we know him. <laughs> Sorry, is this on film? Jack, I love you. <laughs> Can we just rewind the last minute of my life? When Jack and Jill get married, which is the other thing we say in our family... That's going to mark a shift, isn't it? Do you know, I'm going to have to get my head around that Rachel will not be coming back to my house. She's not. She's going to be with Jack. Like officially. You know, like, like we're going to go on holiday together. It's, it's a shift. So this one event, which is massive, is going to tell you so much about about so many bigger things. And that's who we are as God's people. We have a story to tell. And in our story that we tell as God's people, there are events that have happened. And when those events happened, they marked massive great shifts, changes. And the, and the story matters. The details of the story matter. But actually, it's what the story points us to and reminds us of that's so much more important. And the, and the book of Ezra in the Old Testament, the first part of our Bibles, if you've not ever had a chance to look in a Bible, the first half, the Old Testament. The book of Ezra is, is a story. It's, a, it's about history, but it's history to teach us theology. And theology means talking about God, thinking about God, connecting with God. So the book of Ezra 
like lots of books in the Bible, might in some ways appear a bit dry. But actually, the story of what happened to us as God's people tells us so much about our God. It's about two and a half thousand years ago, just a little bit more than that. In, in 550 BC, before Christ, God's people had been taken out of the city that they were in called Jerusalem. They'd, they'd not been faithful to God. They'd not been walking the way of God. They'd not been obedient to the covenant, to the relationship that God had said he wanted to have with them. Which was not just for their blessing, but for the blessing of all nations. That was the purpose. That was the point about God calling his people to be his people. But they had not been faithful to it. And over the centuries, God had warned them. God had said, come on, be my people. Be in relationship with me, because that's the way of God. The Old Testament, sometimes people try and make out, is full of horrible bits. It is full of horrible bits, but it's full of grace. It's full of our God. The God of the Old Testament is the same as the God of the New Testament of Jesus. It's full of grace. It's full of a God who forgives and forgives and forgives and forgives and forgives and sends warning and sends messengers and says, come on, I love you. But the people turned and turned and turned away. And the consequence is that there was the empire of Babylon. And the Babylonian empire was the massive superpower of, of that time. And the Babylonian empire comes and it defeats it. It destroys Jerusalem and it takes the people into exile. And it's a, it's a physical exile. They move geographically. But what's much more important about the exile, it's the exile in their spirit. It's the exile in their heart. It's being cut off from God. And about a hundred years later, when Ezra is being written, round about the late 450s BC, God moves the hearts of the ruler of the Babylonian empire, Cyrus, King Cyrus. He doesn't decide for himself, even though he is the most powerful man on earth. God moves his heart, and a first group of God's people, our ancestors, go back to Jerusalem. And where we're going to pick up the story is, is where they're, they're standing in the ruins of the temple that had been built in the time of King Solomon, maybe a name you've heard. And this, this temple had been where God, in that period in our history, had made himself known. He'd been present with his people. And it was magnificent. It represented everything that was kind of strong in terms of a building, but it had been destroyed and they're in the rubble of this temple. And here's what happened. Nick, we're going to put the reading up. This is Ezra chapter 3, some verses from it. If you've, if you've got a Bible you want to switch on or open up. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their town, so this is the first group that's gone back to Jerusalem from Babylon, 
the people assembled together as one in Jerusalem. Then Joshua, son of Josadak, and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and his associates, began to build the altar of the God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and evening sacrifices. Then, in accordance with what is written, they celebrated the festival of the tabernacles with the required number of burnt offerings prescribed for each day. After that, they presented the regular burnt offerings, the new moon sacrifices, and the sacrifices for all the appointed sacred festivals of the Lord, as well as those brought as freewill offerings to the Lord. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord. He is good. His love toward Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple, that's the one under Solomon, wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping, because the people made so much noise, and the sound was heard far away. Our people, all those centuries ago, stand in the ruins of Jerusalem, the temple. And there's a shift. There's a, a massive great change going on. I haven't got time to talk about these things, but if you're interested, Ezra marks the change from when things were passed on through an oral tradition into a written tradition. Ezra is where we begin to see God's word in, in writing. That's why we're focused on the Bible as a church. It's interesting to notice that Ezra marks a shift from when the focus in the story of God's people is often on the leaders of God's people into the response of the people themselves. Second one you might notice. But more importantly, there's a shift in Ezra from God's presence and people connecting with his presence in a physical place into God's presence being in the heart because the point is this, they don't rebuild the temple and then worship God, do they? In the rubble, surrounded by their enemies, full of fear, they build an altar and they worship God first. Worship comes before any building. That's a really important message for Trinity, isn't it? Isn't this great? 
that just at this moment, as we've had all that money coming in for our roof and we're, we're thinking about what it means to, to have a physical expression of Trinity, a physical building, that God is reminding us through Ezra that it's not going to be a roof on this building that's, that what unites us. It's going to be our worship of God that unites us. What a great reminder to have that if you are trying to build a life in any way, if you are trying to work out a career, if you're trying to build relationships, if you're trying to make sense of how God might be leading you, Ezra reminds us that the first building block, the foundation you have to lay, is worship. Here's what it's not about. Can we show that first film? Thanks, Nick. Thank you. That's what it's, it's not, is it? It's, uh, that's religion. And when we talk about worship, we're, we're distinguishing between... We're not talking about religion. We're talking, as, as Mike helpfully pointed out to us, we're talking about who do we honour? Who do we... Who do we express worth around? That's why I asked you that question. Who do you worship? And who do people around you, do you think, worship? Who do, we, who do we bow down to in our society? Maybe you want to ask, who do we put up on a pedestal? Because what we're talking about here is God saying, if you want to build something, if you're a, a church trying to build a, a stuff with a roof or you're a person here tonight trying to build a life, you're trying to make something that, that really is going to stand, then, then it begins with who you are going to honor and the question of whether you're honoring God or not. Because the Bible is full of lots of examples of people who had fake worship, false worship. They had all kinds of idols, all kinds of things that they, they put in the place of God. Anything that gets in the way of God, that takes our attention away from God is an idol. And that's just as true for a church family like Trinity as it is for any one of us individually. So there they were in the rubble, surrounded by their enemies. And before they touched a single brick, before they, they built a single bit of the wall, they built an altar. And those sacrifices and all of that stuff, that was their way of connecting with God. We connect with God through Jesus. God is, is present, not, not in kind of like hard rock, hard stone, big walls anymore. God is present in fragile hearts, soft hearts, hearts that get hurt Hearts that, that bleed, hearts that love. That's where God lives. That's where he's present. And that's where we worship him. Matthew, Matthew's gospel, Jesus was asked, what are the greatest commandments? And he said, the first is to love the Lord your God. There we are, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You can't miss the all words there, can you? Heart and mind and soul. Do you worship God? Or more importantly, actually, can I say, do you desire? Do you long to worship God? 
Because that's what he's looking for. He's not looking for perfection. He's not, God never looks at us and says, mm, yeah, if you could just make it a little bit, a little bit further. You know, when Rachel and Naomi did their first little drawings and pictures in their painting, and they came to me and said, Daddy, it's a car. I didn't look at it and go, no, it's not. It's two green splodges and one yellow one. Go and do a bit better. Did I? I said, wow, darling, that is the best car I have ever seen. You are the most beautiful, special girls. You must have a brilliant dad. <laughs> Do you get the point? God longs for us to long for him. And the people were united in worship. If we want to be all in together, worship has to be at the, the heart of who we are. They gathered as one. By the way, the, the critical thing there to notice if you want to explore what as one means, it doesn't mean they were all the same. In fact, quite the opposite. It means that they came from lots of different places with lots of different stories. They were scattered, but they chose to come together as one. They chose to put their hearts and their minds and their lives Together as one. Someone has said that being as one is friends on the same side of a struggle. Do you get that? Do you get what God is calling us as his people, especially right now? He's saying Trinity and he's saying individually. Will you build a life? on worship will you will you build an altar to me that's his question do you long for me there's a few other things i just want to pick out of the reading about the nature of their worship quite briefly but i have got an instruction guide for anyone here tonight who doesn't know how to worship the way that we worship. Nick, could you play the instruction guide, please? So there you go, just in case you're wondering, can I just really stress, um, we love it every every moment. You know, I, I, there are people in um, in churches who don't get why we as charismatic Christians, people of our kind of flavor, do raise our hands, but it's completely biblical. I, I sometimes say to people from more traditional churches, uh, for me, raising my hand is, is, is the same as kneeling. When I, I didn't grow up in this kind of tradition, I grew up in a much more conservative kind of tradition. And, and for me, it was a massive deal. It was a big shift, actually, that moment when I, I decided I'm going to raise my hands in worship, it was for me a kind of bowing down to God and a kneeling before him. I wonder what that looks like for you. What mattered about that, it wasn't the outward show. It, it was what was going on in my heart that mattered. In, in our reading, did you notice some things? So they gathered as one. The second thing is they were completely focused on God. It might sound an obvious thing to say. They were focused on the presence of God. But as my, uh, as my Mr. Bean video showed, it's perfectly possible to have dead religion. It's perfectly, perfectly possible to gather in worship and it actually not be connecting with your heart. It's possible to go through the motions in our kind of worship as well. It's possible to sing the songs and not 
connect with the one to whom the songs point. It's possible to be so blown away by the quality of the band that we're not blown away by the Holy Spirit of God, his presence. So we come into this building in our evening celebrations. We come in, don't we, I pray, not saying, I hope the band are going to be good tonight. We come into this space saying, God, I want to meet with you. I don't care what the band is like, even though they are brilliant, by the way. You know, I have to challenge myself because so often I'll go home to Nikki and I'll say, the worship was really good tonight. What a dreadful thing to say, actually, in a way. I know what I mean by it and, the, and there's, there's good in it, but really... What I want to be going home and talking about is the encounter with the presence of God. Is that what you want, friends? As, as, we, as we just said a little bit earlier, this little side, the, the sign, um, slide, sorry, Nick, the word in the New Testament for worship means to bow down. To bow down. Who am I bowing down to? Or as I said a few moments ago, the opposite. Who am I putting up on a pedestal or what am I putting up on a pedestal? Am I putting looks or status or job title up on some kind of pedestal? Which means that God is not there. Who am I bowing down to? Worship as, as Mike. Who, who do I, what worth do I express in the way that I live my life? Do I express the worth of God? They were totally focused on the presence of God. Secondly, they were courageous because they were afraid. And, the, and our reading said, despite their fear, they still worship God. They were surrounded by enemies. And, and maybe you're here and you're, you're full of fear in a way. And you know it's costly to worship God. It's costly to bow down. It will be costly tomorrow. It will be costly in your family. It will be costly in your, in your marriage, in your relationship with your partner to bow down to God and to insist that we're going to worship God. I am going to worship God. I'm going to, I'm going to give him reverence in my life before even you, darling, or whatever it may be. And you see, worship unites us when we recognize God's power even in this hostile world. I said before, didn't I, that King Cyrus, the king of the Babylonian Empire, his heart was moved by God. We are not at the mercy of world events. We're not at the mercy of anyone other. Only God, only God is the one we need to look to. And they were obedient they were obedient because they were on a journey and they knew they were on a journey. And some of you may know, Mike probably does. He's probably the only one in the room. Others might. But the f significance of the fact that they celebrated what's called the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles for God's people in the Old Testament was remembering when they were taken out of slavery in Egypt and taken on the journey to the promised land. And so the fact that they celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles again is recognizing that they're on this journey with God. 
They're on a journey with God. And they're going to be obedient to the next steps in the, in the journey. They know they're not going to be protected anymore by a, an earthly kingdom and by the power of politics and state and armies. But they know they're going to be protected by the power of God. Friends, we have to ask ourselves, what are we building? What are we trying to build in our lives? Do we, do we try and build walls that we think will protect us? Or do we worship God? Do we worship God first and foremost and let him be our guide? By the time of Jesus, the Feast of Tabernacles had got connected with two key themes. And this is where I'm going to finish. And we're going to then pray together and we're going to lead into some worship together as we let God lead us as a church family forward. But here they are. Here are the two symbols by the time of Jesus that the Feast of Tabernacles had become really connected with in Jewish thinking. The first was water. Because as they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles, they remembered all the times in the desert, in the wilderness, as God was taking them from Egypt in slavery to the promised land, how many times he'd provided water for them. And so in John's gospel, when Jesus stands up and speaks at the Feast of the Tabernacles, he says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Rivers of water will flow from within them. He's talking about the Holy Spirit, God within us. And the second key theme, the second key thing that had by the time of Jesus, the Feast of Tabernacles becomes associated with is fire. Because the people of God were led through the wilderness by a pillar of fire. And Jesus in John's gospel says, I am the light of the world. Are you thirsty? Then build your life on worship to God. Are you, are you desperate to see the way in your life? Then build and walk through worship. Through putting God first. That will be the way for you personally, and it is the way for this church to be united, to be all in together for everything that God has for us. Did you notice at the end of the reading that as people surrounded this altar, some of them were weeping because they'd remembered the old story, they remembered the old temple, there are people in our church family who weep because they remember Trinity from the past and they're sad that we got so diverted from our journey. There are people in our church family who are full of joy and laughter and the two intermingle and it's fine. It's good. It's good. It's how it's meant to be. Whatever God wants us to do as a church family together, it must be built on worship.
before we do a single slate. Worship. 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 If you're able to, would you like to stand? I'd love the, love the band just to come, come up. Um, we are obviously going to sing some worship together. And uh, David will pop up at some point and maybe signal in a bit when it's time for us to shift and do other things and stuff like that. Um, uh, refreshments being served and important things like that. Um, but because uh, I'm so short, I'm going to stand on the platform. Um, but um, yeah, first I think I think God might want to come and just bless a few of us. So you've had the guide. Why don't you just go for little TV? Because you know what, physical things. God's got this amazing way. The way He's made us is that when we do something physical, it, it can so often express on the outside what we desire inside. So that's one of the reasons why we just open our hands often when we're praying to God like we are just now and asking him to come. So I just quietly just, let's just pray. Let's let God ask us these questions about who we really worship about whether we are truly all in with him or not. Not, not just our hearts, not just our soul, our spirit, but also our minds. The, the people in Ezra needed to repent. They needed to... Ask God to give them renewed ways of thinking, to change the way they were thinking. Holy Spirit, God with us now, would you just come for anyone who just wants to say, please God, I want to change even the way that I think. Maybe you're here and you're just really tired and weary of having the same kind of thoughts going around in your head. And you just want to say, God, please, now, I worship you. I bow down to you, God. And I say, please come, Holy Spirit. Maybe there are people here, you know, you've been putting a relationship or anything else before God really career money body image and you just want to say God here I am maybe I can only offer you a, a painting with a couple of blobs on it but you're my perfect father and and you receive it and you say yes you are my daughter. You're my son. 
I love you. Holy Spirit, would you come? And there may be some of us who are weeping. We're weeping for things that have gone wrong in the past, even in this church. And we're just wanting to come to you, God, again. Before we do anything else, we want to build an altar to you. We want to build in our hearts a place of worship to you. This is your church, Jesus. It always has been, always will be your church. And we are your people. And we pray and ask you to come and lay some new foundations.